Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come quickly, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Trichus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me great harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To me be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of one Sephorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and left Trophinius sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Ebulus greets you, and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Thanks, Linda. Thanks, Jordan. I think I'm on, aren't I? Yep. I can hear myself, so I must be on. Let's pray as we come around the Lord's Word today. Dear Lord, we pray that as we look at this final part of 2 Timothy, I pray that you'd really speak to us from this passage of Scripture as Paul looks towards the eternal hope that he has in you amidst all the difficulties and trials that he's going through in this life. We ask for this in your name. Amen. Well, today we have our final talk on 2 Timothy, so you can all say, yay! Yay! And so for me, it's like a bit of the end of a marathon, and we're going to have a look at the last section of this book. Now, when you first read this last section, or have it heard read to you, as we just have, in some ways it seems like a bit of a jumble of ideas, as Paul jumps from one thing to another. He says that he's going to die soon. He talks about everyone deserting him during his court case, his trial. And then he criticises some people like Demas and Alexander the metal worker. Any metal workers here? That's all right, not all metal workers are the same. There's talk of such mundane things as Paul's cloak. I mean, why on earth does he talk about his cloak, which he left behind somewhere, along with leaving behind his writing materials? And there's a whole lot of greetings at the end as well. But in this passage, we also see Paul's steadfast and sure hope of eternal life in God's 
kingdom. And that is the main thing that we see here. Paul's steadfast hope of eternal life in God's kingdom. And however, when we have a closer look, what may at first glance look like a jumble of ideas is actually a very carefully written conclusion to this letter. Or in rhetorical terms, we might call this the epilogue. Not an epic log, like we might find in the forests of Tasmania, but an epilogue. Or in other words, a conclusion. And this conclusion is full of pathos. Who remembers what pathos is? Pathos or pathos? Emotional appeal, that's right, the emotions. And so this is quite strong here. There is a final appeal to Timothy to come and visit Paul. But most of all, there is Paul's confident hope in God. And we noted right at the beginning in our first uh, message in this series, way back five weeks ago, at the beginning of 2 Timothy, that in ancient rhetoric, the strongest emotional appeals were at the beginning and at the end of a speech or of a letter. And we see the same thing here in 2 Timothy. Remember back to chapter 1, right at the beginning of chapter 1, Paul appeals quite strongly to Timothy's emotions. That's the pathos there. But now we see that coming back again really stronger, even stronger at the close of this letter. The emotional appeal, the pathos, really ramps up and becomes very strong indeed with some of the most emotive language that we find in the letters, perhaps even in the New Testament. So, let's now have a look at this passage in more detail. The last part of 2 Timothy is very much about Paul and his trial, his relationships with other people, but most importantly, it's about his impending death. Who's looking forward to death? A few of us. But not only is he looking forward to death, he is looking forward beyond death. Because he has a confidence in life after death in God's kingdom. In verse 6, we read a very emotional statement from Paul. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. What he means is, I'm going to die soon. Paul is telling Timothy that he's about to die. You can't get more emotional than that. But we also see a twist on the whole theme of death here. Generally, death is a very negative thing. I mean, who thinks death is a negative thing? The very fact that our culture does not talk about death is because it is such a negative thing. Death is the end of life here on earth. Death, for most people, most people fear death more than they fear anything else. And you can see that all around us. Why were people so afraid during COVID? Because we might die. Why do things like air crashes, natural disasters, that bus crash recently, tragically, up near Newcastle, why do wars dominate the news? Because people die. And when we see someone else die in a plane crash, a flood, a bushfire, a terrorist attack or a war, we think, 
that could happen to me too. Death is the enemy. It robs us of life. And every single one of us will one day die unless Jesus comes back before then. But for Paul, death is not like that. It's not something to be feared. Paul sees death in a positive light. In verses 7, in the first part of 8, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. For Paul, death is the conclusion of a life well lived. Not that he's made lots of money, not that he's got heaps of followers on Instagram, but he didn't have it back then anyway. But what he means by a life lived well is he has fought well. He's finished the race, his mission. That is, he has finished the job that God gave him to do. He has stayed faithful to God throughout everything, throughout all the hardships and difficulties that have been thrown at him in life. What Paul waits for in death is not the end, but it is the victor's crown of righteousness. Hallelujah! Amen! Can I hear hallelujah or amen? Praise God for that! Who's excited about that? In a cold Sunday morning, it's something we can get excited about. And we will come back to more about Paul's hope for life after death later on in the message. But for the moment, we'll keep on having a look at the emotional appeal, the pathos. Because even though Paul does see death positively, this does not take away from the pathos, the emotional appeal to Timothy, because Paul's death will mean the end of their friendship in this world. And even though we can have hope for a life after death, it is still a sad and tragic thing because there is that parting, isn't there? When someone we know dies, even though we know, if they're a believer, that they're with the Lord. And in verse 9, Paul appeals for Timothy to come and visit him. Sounds like he wants to see him again. Now remember, right back at the beginning of the letter, how much Paul wanted to see Timothy again. In chapter 1, verse 4, Timothy writes, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And now here at the end of the letter, Paul directly asks Timothy to come and see him. In chapter 4, verse 9, do your best to come to me quickly. Why? Why does Paul want Timothy? Well, it seems it's because he's lonely. Paul's friends who are in Rome, have deserted him. Verse 10, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Now, we don't know why Crescens and Titus have gone away. They may have had good reasons. Maybe they weren't deserting Paul. Maybe they have good reasons. But Demas's desertion must have been particularly difficult because Demas has not stayed the course. He's not continued following Jesus the Messiah, and instead he has chosen instead to chase after the things of this world. And in verse 11, we then read, and please follow along in your Bibles, there's spare ones at the back there, if you don't have one with you, either on your phone or in hard copy. In verse 11, we read, 
that only Luke is there left with Paul. It seems as though Paul's closest companions, his friends, were all gone except for Luke. So Paul is really, really hoping that Timothy will come and when he comes, he will also bring Mark with him. And then we read something that looks very incidental and we can pass over that very quickly and think it's not important. In verse 13, it says, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially my parchments. Has anyone ever wondered why something like a missing cloak and writing materials take up a whole verse of Holy Scripture? Anyone ever wondered that or is it just me? There must be something in that cloak. <laughs> that reminds me about my, one of my ancestors who came to Australia. You can ask me about that later. Anyway, what does this missing cloak and writing materials tell us? I think it tells us that Paul is missing some of his creature comforts. We don't know why he left his cloak in Troas. Maybe it was summer at the time and it just didn't occur to him that he might need it when winter came along. Why did he leave his written materials behind? Maybe it wouldn't fit in his luggage allowance. Who knows? But whatever the reason, Paul misses these creature comforts. And I think we can all relate to that from being away from home. Who's ever been away from home and missed your favourite cloak or whatever it was? I think we all have. And this just adds to the pathos. This just adds to the emotional appeal that Paul is lonely Lonely for friends and lonely even for some of his creature comforts like his cloak and his writing materials. But Paul's list of woes just continues on. In verses 14 and 15, Paul lists yet another person who has turned against him. Alexander the metal worker has done me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. It seems as though Alexander was another former disciple who has not just gone off the rails and turned from the truth, but he's also treated Paul really badly. He's done so to the extent that Paul has to warn Timothy, watch out for this guy. He is, remember we looked at examples before, he is yet another negative example for Timothy not to follow and someone who he needs to be careful for, watch out for. The next three verses really bring the book to a climax with incredible emotion. Let's read it. And Paul's talking about his court case. It says, At my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message may be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever Amen. In these three verses, we see very strong conflicting emotions. On the one hand, Paul is both deserted by people, even people he thought were his friends. He is lonely. 
He is facing strong evil attacks. And yet on the other hand, at the same time, he feels very strongly the presence and help from God. Both in his present situation and also in the promise of life in God's heavenly kingdom after he dies. And I think this is a tremendous encouragement to us. Let's first look at Paul's predicament. His situation in the eyes of the world. In verse 16, we learn that he had to defend himself in court. We go back and look at history and Acts. We don't know what court case this is. This may be when he was appealing to Caesar. It may have been a later one, but it looks at any case he has to defend himself in court. And he was alone. There was no one there left to stand with him. No one. All his friends, his companions had deserted him. We don't know why. Maybe they were scared. Maybe they were ashamed to be associated with Paul the prisoner as he had his day in court. How would you feel if you were Paul? Lonely? Betrayed? Hopeless? Depressed? Worthless? Useless? Shamed? Dishonoured? embarrassed. When Paul tells Timothy of his bad situation, he is continuing this theme of pity, but it's the theme of pity with a twist. The twist is that Paul does not view his upcoming death as the end, but as the entrance to God's kingdom. And even though people have deserted Paul, God has not. In verse 17, we read, but the Lord stood at my side. Wow. Having the Lord stand with you is so much better than having people stand with you. And that should be a great encouragement to us. You know, following Jesus is often a lonely road. Some people might not like that we follow Jesus. Our friends, our family may desert us. We may be ostracized at work or at school. Sometimes even other believers oppose our work. Paul knew what that was like as well. But he also knew that when everyone else deserted him, the Lord stood with him, not just to only comfort Paul, but also, as we read in verse 17, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles, that means unbelievers, might hear it. The Lord gave Paul strength and he gave him strength so that he could preach the message, the message of the good news of God's salvation through Jesus. May God stand with us too and give us the strength in our lives and our ministry so that others would hear his wonderful message. A few verses back in verses 7 and 8, we saw that Paul knew that he was going to die soon, but he didn't see that negatively but rather he saw it positively because, because he is about to receive the victor's crown of righteousness from God. And here again in verse 18, we see Paul's confidence in his eternal future. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever Amen. Friends, what a wonderful hope that is. 
And it's not just a hope for Paul, because as Paul says in verse 8, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all, to everyone who has longed for his appearing. The victor's crown of righteousness, entry into the heavenly kingdom, is not just for Paul, but it's to everyone who's longing for, keenly looking forward to when Jesus appears. That means when Jesus comes back, his return. Are you looking forward to that? If you do, then you can have that same confident hope that Paul has. The final few verses of this letter close with some greetings. And then Paul's final blessing to Timothy in verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. So, that's it. We've got to the end of Timothy, to Timothy. What have we learned over the last several weeks? Well, firstly, we've seen the influence of Greco-Roman rhetoric on the letter. We've seen this in a number of ways in different parts of the letter. And we've seen some use of literary devices, such as word plays, sound plays. We've also seen the three modes of proof that were used in ancient rhetoric. Can anyone remember them? What's the first one? Ethos, which is? Cred? Street cred. Credibility? We also saw? Yep. Logos, the logical argument, which we saw in the use of examples such as from athletics and farming and personal examples, the use of enthymemes, who can remember what they are? Unfinished sayings, yep, where we supply the conclusion. Uh, We also saw the use of common sayings. We also saw a poem or a verse somewhere back there. Uh, We also saw references to the Old Testament. And also, what's our third mode of proof, do you remember? Pathos, emotional appeal, which we see a lot in this last chapter, which is very strong in 2 Timothy, particularly at the beginning and now at the end of the letter. In 2 Timothy, we also see honour and shame, or what we might say more in our culture, embarrassment. We see that very strongly. But we see honour and shame with a difference. We can see that Paul is going through difficulties, hard times. He is being persecuted because he follows Jesus And because he tells other people about Jesus, he's even in prison for this reason. And it seems that now he's on death row, about to die. And Paul's sufferings are not just physical, but they are also emotional. They are shameful. He is shamed in the eyes of this world. But for Paul, that's okay. Because he is willing to put up with shame in the eyes of this world in order to obtain honour and approval in the eyes of God. And then there is Paul's close friend and disciple, Timothy. Even right at the beginning of the letter, Paul has to urge Timothy on not to be afraid, not to be timid, not to be a coward, because God has given us a spirit of power and love and self-control. And then in chapter 1, verse 8, Paul encourages, exhorts Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel 
by the power of God. That's a call for us too. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed about following Jesus. Don't be embarrassed about telling people you know that you're a Christian. Don't be embarrassed about telling others about him and being willing to suffer for the sake of the good news. As Paul reminds us at various times in the letter, it is worth putting up with the shame, dishonor and embarrassment of this world in order to receive honor from God. We've also seen the conclusion of this whole letter that even in the face of death, Paul was satisfied. He knew he'd lived his life well, which means that he'd been faithful to God and what God had asked him to do. He'd completed his mission, the job that God gave him to do. He remained faithful to God in his calling. And for Paul, death is not the end, but it is the time when he would receive the victory crown of the righteous. And when God would take him safely into his heavenly kingdom to enjoy eternal life with God forever. So how do we apply this little book to our lives and ministries? Firstly, from a technical point of view, as we read the scriptures, remember that meaning is not just the propositional statements, what we might call the logos in rhetorical terms. What I mean by that is it's not just information. There is pathos. There is emotion there. This is a gripping letter from Paul to his friend and his disciple. It is riveting. It is exciting reading. And sometimes when we read the letters, especially the epistles, the letters, we can tend to see them as a whole list of rules about how we should live. Who's ever thought of them like that? List of rules. And they are a list of rules. They are. They do tell us how to live. But they are much more than that. They are riveting. They are emotional. They are vibrant letters. And next time you read not just to Timothy, but any of the epistles, when you read Romans, when you read Philippians, whatever it is, remember that, look for that vibrancy, that vitality, and what God is saying to us through these words. But most of all, these letters should be an incredible encouragement to us. It is not just Paul who went through hard times and great difficulty in following Jesus. Many of us go through that too. Many of us face opposition and difficulty, shame, dishonor, embarrassment because we follow Jesus. And sometimes that opposition and shaming can even come from fellow believers. And that can be particularly difficult and hard to swallow. We can see from 2 Timothy that Paul also found it hard to be deserted by former friends, to be abandoned to be lonely. Who's ever experienced that? But we can also see that in the midst of these incredible difficulties, Paul had a steadfast hope in God who gave him strength and hope beyond this life to the coming kingdom, which is not just for him, but for everyone who's keenly looking forward to when he comes back, which includes us if we have repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus. That is an incredible encouragement to us. I personally know people who have suffered much for following Jesus. I've even known people who've been killed for following Jesus. But it is worth it. The message we proclaim is worth the hard times it brings. And I'll close with some of Paul's words which ought to give us great encouragement 
Let's read together 2 Timothy 1, 9 to 10. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame, because I know who I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this book. Thank you for this message. Thank you for its vibrance, its pathos, its emotions, also its logos, the instructions, the material that it's teaching. Thank you for its encouragement. Thank you for its focus on our eternity with you. Thank you that it helps us to know that we will suffer. We will suffer shame and embarrassment for following you. But it's worth it to have honour in your eyes. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to apply it to our lives. Help us not to be afraid to say that we belong to you. And help us to keep our eyes fixed on that victor's crown of the righteous, which you have stored up for everyone who is looking forward to your appearing. Amen.